When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cluba.com, Doug Marisa and Scott Patsko. Happy holidays, folks. Man, it is a weird week. It is a weird week for Browns fans right now, and we understand that. And Scott is going to break some stuff down related to the Packers game, and we are going to cover this team and cover football because that's all we can do knowing that everything can change. And, you know, other teams are starting to feel the effect of the virus at the college football level. We already had one team withdraw from a bowl game. I bet you more of that is going to happen. So we're all trying to live our lives. We hope you guys aren't too stressed out about it. We hope you are happy and healthy, healthy, and safe and enjoying your family this week. And for a lot of you and Scott, us included, football's part of your life. So life goes on, man. We're, we're all figuring this out together, but football is part of it. So we're going to talk about football. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It is going to be mostly, Scott, an overview of the Browns defense against the Packers offense. And that's because, you know, they got one of the best dudes ever over there twirling it so trying to figure out how to contain Aaron Rodgers here is a big deal and Scott Patsko is here to help you guys figure that out Scott Patsko dive in on gotta watch the tape and just for the record right off the top here I want to say that we had a really good happy podcast planned for last week we're going to talk about good things about the Browns and then the whole COVID outbreak hit and that kind of went out the window so just remember that as I go forward here, because there's going to be a lot of bad news. For the yeah, I, I forgot. We did not do a got to watch the tape last week because we were doing a when is the game going to be played podcast yeah. like every day. So we ran out of room to squeeze in film analysis. But yes, I can testify. I will yeah. I will back you up on that, Scott, that you did have a lovely pod planned. And now we're back to stopping one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to focus on the defense because, one, we have a better grasp on which players will be available to the defense. Number two, the defense has to play well if the Browns are going to beat the Packers. I mean, they just they just do. It doesn't seem likely that the offense is going to score 30 plus points and win a shootout no matter who the quarterback is or who's calling plays. Although we did find out Wednesday that Kevin Stefanski has has uh, has made it through the, the covid protocols. So he will return. Baker Mayfield is still in a, a holding pattern. Uh, although the 10th day, I believe is Saturday. So in theory, he could play without, you know, having practice for what, two weeks, but anyways, that's where the offense is. We know more about the defense for sure. Uh, and the good news for the Browns is that the defense has kept scoring down since weeks five and six against the chargers and Cardinals opponents have only scored more than 16 points twice since then. It was really? the ugly. Yeah, there's the ugly game against the Patriots. Okay. Uh, which is now more than a month old. And then the game two weeks ago against the Ravens, who scored 22 points, but the Browns won that, thanks in large part because of a touchdown from the defense. So, yeah, the defense has been pretty good at keeping teams out of, uh, well, 
just off the scoreboard in general. So let's take a closer look at the Packers on offense because that's where the challenge is this week. <laughs> and I'm going to start with some big picture stuff because the numbers don't exactly paint the picture of a team that's 11 and three, which is what the Packers record is right now. Uh, the Packers are 14th in total yards this season on offense. They average about 20 more per game than the Browns. They're ninth in passing yards, 21st in rushing. Um, football outsiders DVOA has been a topic of debate this season for Packers fans because the Packers haven't ranked as high as you might think in that efficiency metric, which measures how well teams play compared to a league baseline, a league average. In fact, they've been ranked below teams with fewer wins for most of the season. As a team, they're ranked 10th in DVOA, performing 11.2% better than the league average, but again, they're just 10th. They're below teams like the 8-6 and six Bills and the 8-6 and six hmm. 49ers. Actually, every team ranked ahead of them has the worst record because the Packers are the only 11-win team in the NFL right now. But the reason is because the Packers play a lot of close games. They've been in seven games decided by one score. They're 5-2 and two in those games. They've been in nine games decided by 10 points or less. And Football Outsiders actually addressed this, their ranking, since it, Packers fans, I guess, were really flooding them with, with asking why, how can the Packers be so low? Um, and they noted that DVOA is more concerned with how a team performs week to week than their wins and losses. And I know how that sounds, but the idea is that when you win, you tend to play better. And when you lose, you tend to play worse. Can we just but, make sure that, that Phil Sims and Bill Cower and Boomer Sison are not listening to this? Because <laughs> the phrase, it assesses how you perform, not whether you win or lose. Th- their brains just exploded. Phil, are you okay? It's analytics, <laughs> Phil. It's okay. <laughs> if you have trouble, call Scott at home. We don't want you to be in pain. Okay. Sorry, hey, Phil. Boomer should know. He knows Chris Collinsworth. They played together. I'm sure Collinsworth explained all this to him. But, uh, okay. but yeah, it, it, I mean, and that's what a lot of these metrics are. It's, it's how well you play efficiently, and that will hope, you know, usually is going to lead to wins. Not efficiently, not efficiently leads to loss. Anyways, the Packers don't really have a lot of dominant victories. They're a lot like the Browns were last year. They played a lot of close games too, and they won a lot of close games. But remember, they also had that negative point differential heading into the playoffs. The Packers are only outscoring opponents by 57 points this season, which ranks 10th in the league. That point differential projects to about eight and a half wins at this point. So again, like the Browns, the Packers are playing over expectation, and they've been doing that for a few years now they've they've had back-to-back 13 win seasons since Matt LaFleur showed up and they're just kind of continuing that trend this year, obviously having Aaron Rodgers helps. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I remember a year ago when, when we were having these discussions about the Browns and point differential and are they overperforming their record and the Packers were right there in that conversation with them. It was the Browns and Packers were side by side. And now this year, the Browns have reverted to the mean, which is this kind of analysis often predicts. And I know you took that into account with your preseason, preseason prediction about the Browns of sometimes winning close games, there's a little bit of luck to it. And if it flips on you, all of a sudden you can be just as good of a team and have a worse record. But I think maybe what you just said is right. That I think in the end, it's like, you don't kind of want to admit it as of like a Browns fan. Right. And even in analyzing it this year, it's like, well, they'll overcome that. And like, they haven't because their record in close games is not good this year. But I think the answer to the Packers is, well, it's Aaron Rodgers. So yeah. the idea that like Aaron Rodgers finds a way to win, 
I think with a lot of teams, that's fanciful projection, like I like you hope. But I think with Aaron Rodgers, what you're talking about, like it's been proven. He's 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 out DVOA the DVOA. It's a it's an AROA. It's just the Aaron Rodgers way of doing business, and he'll figure it out. Which on the one hand makes me start thinking, are you going to lead us down a path, Scott, where maybe Browns fans don't have to be thinking that the Packers are going to blow the Browns off the field on Saturday, but maybe you're also leading us down a path where eventually you're going to say, and that's why the Packers will prevail in the last two minutes and break the Browns' hearts because that's how Aaron Rodgers does it. Uh, I don't know where I'm leading you. I guess we'll find out as we go. But you can make the same argument about the Chiefs uh, last year too, and obviously they have Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you have a quarterback who – who's an eraser, who, who, who gets rid of mistakes and who figures things out on the go and who's great. It, uh, it helps in these situations, but, uh, and, and the Packers have that in Aaron Rodgers. He's ranked first in DVOA among quarterbacks. The Packers are second in offensive DVOA and first in passing. None of that should be a surprise. Uh, they're 22nd in defensive DVOA. And also, by the way, they're, they're last in special teams. And this is really hurting when it comes to like their overall team rankings uh, they're actually they're also last in special teams per Pro Football Focus grading as well. The pack uh, Mason Crosby, Packers kicker, who the world got to know a lot better when they played the Bengals earlier this season, and all those missed field goals. He ranks 36th in PFF field goal grading. I have no idea what goes into field goal grading, um, but he's 36. Chase McLaughlin, who got a vote of confidence from Kevin Stefanski on Wednesday, uh, is 20th. But over the last half of the season, McLaughlin, McLaughlin is ranked 36 out of 38 kickers. No, but I digress. Is, is, did, did Chase McLaughlin get a vote of confidence or did he get a vote well, of we couldn't find anybody else? He got a vote of he's our kicker. That's, you know, read into that what you will. You know how they there's a thing that like people say it's like write a sad story in five words. You've heard that, right? I think like Hemingway had a famous thing, maybe, or John Updike or something had a famous one. That's my new one. Write a sad story in four words. Chase is our kicker. That's my sad story. That's all I could think of when Kevin Stefanski said that. Uh, well, yeah. Anyways. Um, and Jamie Gillen is gone. Jamie Gillen, he's a bodybuilder in a punter's, in a punter's body. He got cold on both ends. I'll yes. tell you what, you don't, well, you don't want Colquitt coming out both ends. <laughs> that, I can't, of all the things, like, that's the special teams change that got made. That, I really, that's, I really had a hard, point. I had a hard time trying to figure out which Star Wars title I should use in that scenario. It was like a Colquitt strike back, Revenge of the Colquitts. It's just like, there's just a lot of options. Colquitt, A New Hope. Um, yes. The, the, I do, I do think, uh, it's it is a little bit of proof of like Jamie Gillen was having a rough year, but like Jamie Gillen, like has been pretty good. Right. In the past, wasn't he good? And then oh, last he got, year, then he got COVID and then they literally found somebody off the street and he was better mm-hmm. than Jamie Gillen. And yeah. I think that should be proof of like, find somebody off the street and he might be better than Chase McLaughlin. The idea of like, we can't find anybody. It's like, well, you found a punter, you found a cut mm-hmm. punter, go find a cut kicker. Yeah. I mean, Gillen, he, he hadn't been doing great early. He certainly wasn't up to the level he was last year. So that was, that was part of it. But um, anyway, Chase McLaughlin doesn't even have a level that he's not up to. He's no. just, he's, I'm not here. I'm not here to ruin every <laughs> podcast by shouting about kickers, but Chase is our kicker just blew my mind. Oh my God. 
Okay. It used, Sorry. It used to be our, our podcast would get taken over with Baker contract talk. Now it's kicker talk. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I'm sure you guys are like, God, please don't let Doug start talking about the kicker again. <laughs> but you rile me up because I blame you. I blame I you for some reason. I'm not even sure if I should, but I just associate you with Chase McLaughlin now. That's your, <laughs> that's your burden. All right, go ahead. Anyways, this is not the time to be playing the Packers, uh, is the point <laughs> I was trying to get to. <laughs> the okay. middle of the season would have been better. They were only averaging about 25 points a game and actually went seven straight games without hitting 30. Over the last four games, they've scored 31, 35, 45, and 31 points. And they're three and one in those games. The one loss was to the Vikings on a last second field goal by old friend Greg Joseph, speaking of kickers. Uh, but the Browns have scored at least 30 points in a game three times this season, not since week nine against the Bengals. Uh, so that's why we're talking about the defense today. Because you got to hold them down. That makes sense. I almost think, is there a formula you were talking about that the Browns defense has held teams like under 17 points, except for the one week where they allowed 23, but they scored a touchdown. It's almost like I want to know like what the what the defense is plus minus is. That if you yeah. give up 24, but you score seven, then your plus minus is 17, right? That like that's it's almost like what it, what is that? What can that be? Because if you're a big, big play defense, maybe you give up a few more points, but you make up for it on the other end. Um, I almost wish I'm sure there's like an EPA thing, too, right? That you could figure out you force a turnover and like not all turnovers are created equal. What's the field position off the turnover? What's the expected points from that spot on the field when you take over there? And then you apply that expected level of points to the defense. Did we just come up with a stat? Let me see if I just wrote this up. <laughs> Did we just invent a stat defense plus minus? Cause that to me is like, all right, if you're going to give something up, then you got to get something. So, okay. If you're going to let Devonte mm-hmm. Adams get a little bit loose then you better get a strip sack that starts to drive in the red zone for the offense kind of stuff. But yes, the defense, if your conclusion, Scott, the way you went this way is because the defense has to win this game for the Browns. I don't know that anybody could disagree with that. I mean, there is expected points uh, for the defense. Um, The Browns rank 17th in that, but yeah, that's something we could probably look at at some point. I think it would be good to see because there obviously there's giveaways and takeaways as a whole team, but to narrow that down to defense, but the big point for the Browns really isn't so much that it's they've been able to uh, keep the scoring low. You know, we how many times over the past month and a half here have we come away from a game thinking, man, the defense played good enough for them to win. Yep. But the offense just didn't get it done. So. OK, so then getting after him now, this is uh, it's like, OK, well, we think we know who's going to play on defense. Miles Garrett has the groin strain. And so it sounds like he's going to play, but what version of Miles Garrett are you going to get? That is certainly something that that's going to linger until Saturday. What yeah. percent of Miles Garrett is he 60%? Is he 85%? Is he going to aggravate it in the second quarter? That's hard to deal with, but do, do they have to get a pass rush on Aaron Rodgers to have a shot for this? Probably. <laughs> I mean, as we're recording this, like you said, Miles is dealing with a groin injury. And we're not sure what, what's going to happen with him. Clowney remains on the COVID list. Tack McKinley, he's out. He has the Achilles injury. He's done for the year uh, after going through that against the Raiders. So how do you feel about Porter Gustin and Joe Jackson as you're starting edge rushers against the league's best passing offense? Why do you have to say it like that? Because, <laughs> again, again I, got, I got very excited by the fact that Joe Jackson forced that hold on the Raiders' left tackle on that final Raiders drive that should have been maybe the nail in the coffin for the Raiders if the Browns could have gotten a stop on one of the next two plays. So I'll give Joe Jackson a little love. He, he was bringing it late in that game. 
but I also thought we saw the effects to some degree. And I don't know. I don't, I mean, you could see the miles play when he pulled the groin, he kind of got twisted a weird way and immediately sort of sort of started holding it tack. And it's again, tack got hurt stuff happens, but tack and miles, did they both play maybe a little more than they would have normally because Clowney was out? I think you made a good point during all of last week, Scott, about the COVID stuff. It's not just who you're missing, but it's the load that you're putting on the guys who are playing because you're you're losing all your depth and something like that. And I wondered, is that happened in a game where Clowney's out and Garrett and McKinley got hurt? Maybe it's just coincidental, but they wound up asking a lot of those guys. But I will believe in Joe Jackson for now, if need be. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know. I'm as you're talking, I'm looking up like who else? I, I didn't even look at the practice squad. If if it does come down to Gustin, Jackson's actually officially on the back on the practice squad right now. The only other defensive end they have uh under contract and healthy right now is Curtis Weaver, okay. who has not seen the field this year, I guess. So yeah, that's not a great situation. So Aaron Rodgers is under pressure on 25.9% of his dropbacks this season, and that ranks 39th out of 42 quarterbacks, only Matt Stafford, Ben Roethlisberger, and Tom Brady see less pressure. And Big Ben's only oh. there because he gets rid of the ball so quick, not so much because of his line. Um, PFF also tracks turnover-worthy plays, which you tend to get on pressure. Rodgers ranks 35th out of 39 quarterbacks in that category. Just 2.3% of his passes are deemed turnover-worthy. And for comparison, Baker is 11th, 3.6%. And Mike Glennon of the Giants leads the league 7.6%. Rodgers is also fourth in PFF's big-time throw stat. We've talked about that with with Baker before. It's something he uh, had excelled in prior to this year. Um, And it's actually a percentage for Rodgers. He's fourth in big-time throws, which is defined by, like, excellent location, timing. They tend to be farther downfield or into tight windows. And that, you know, that sounds like Aaron Rodgers. Well, the Green Bay offensive line ranks seventh in adjusted sack rate, which is a football outsider's stat. It takes in sacks and grounding and accounts for down and distance and kind of the, the impact of the play. So the offensive line has done pretty well in that, in that respect. The Packers rank eighth as a team in pass blocking for PFF grading, one spot ahead of the Browns at this point in the season. Okay. And we're not talking about an offensive line that has a lot of highly regarded, highly graded players like Batonio and Treader Conklin when he was healthy. Or, or Wyatt Teller, but Rodgers helps them by having obviously command of the offense and getting the ball out in quick rhythm. But his average time to throw from a clean pocket this season, it's, it's not Ben Roethlisberger quick, but it's 2.26 seconds, which is eighth fastest. So that's a tough task for the Browns to get pressure on somebody who is obviously so good in his offense and just yeah. gets the ball that quick and knows exactly what he's doing every time. He drops back. I mean, he's in the conversation for league MVP again, which he won last year. Um, there isn't much he hasn't seen at this point in his career. That toe injury that became a, a fun meme when he lifted it up for the camera during one of his interviews. It's obviously not hampering, very, hampering him very much. He's only had two bad games this year, really. It was week one against the Saints. He completed just 53% of his passes, and they got blown out. And the other was week 10 against the Seahawks. His PFF grade was 47.3 in that game, but the Packers still won 17 nothing. Blitzing Rodgers is not the solution. Mm. He has completed 66% of his passes against the Blitz, and if you factor in drops, throwaways, and batted passes, his adjusted percentage is 76%. Plus, he has 10 touchdowns and one pick when blitzed this season. According to the, to the ringer, 
if you take out his week one performance, Rodgers has completed 69% of his passes with 30 touchdowns, two picks, and a passer rating of 115.4. So if Miles Garrett plays Saturday, we might be watching the defensive player of the year against the MVP or at least the offensive player of the year. And I don't think Garrett's going to be favored in that matchup. That's interesting. I almost, that would make me want to go back and look because you don't know it until you get to the end of the year and you have the awards, but how often have the offensive and defensive players of the year faced each other in the regular season and who prevailed and how did the, who had big games in that? We'll write that down for an off season story. If miles, if miles does in fact win it. So you can't get pressure on him. You can't blitz him. He doesn't throw picks and he makes a lot of big time plays. So to me, this feels like a situation where then this becomes a lot about the Browns secondary more than the pass rush. Scott is nodding along. We'll dig into that next. I've got to watch the tape. Doug Maurice and Scott Patsko here in the Orange and Brown Talk feed. We know you guys listen multiple times a week, and we're so appreciative of that. We know you guys read cleveland.com slash Browns, and we're so appreciative of that. And we know a bunch of you are Browns insiders, where you're paying that little extra fee a month to get text messages about the team, analysis right in your phone. You get an extra little story emailed to you every day. That ensures you get access to all the stories on cleveland.com. So if you want to do that, I think it's a great gift for the holiday season. You know, you give somebody something that, makes their life better, makes them happy on a daily basis and doesn't take up space. That's three for three. Happy every day, no clutter. That's a winning combination. Cleveland.com slash Browns. Go there. You can figure out how to sign up. I, I guarantee you if you have a Browns fan in your life, they'd be like, oh, cool. That's a creative gift. Even like, if, for instance, if they don't like me, right? There's enough of us. Maybe they think that Scott Pasco, he drives me crazy with his numbers. Well, then go read Ashley. Go read Mary Kay. Go read Dan, right? Oh, you maybe think that Dan Lobby, I don't like the look of that guy. He, I don't like the cut of his jib. All right, that's fine. Then maybe you're a Scott Patsko person. Maybe you just love Terry Pluto. Everybody loves Terry Pluto, right? Cleveland.com slash Browns. You get it all. You pick and choose your favorites. You read, you listen, you get the text. It's worth it. All right. Devontae Adams. Great time for Denzel Ward to have another big game. Greedy Williams, the big pick last week. Greg Newsom has been battling uh, the concussion issues. And then on Wednesday morning, the day that we're recording this, I noticed that Greg Newsom tweeted the slap yourself in the head emoji. And I thought, well, that's not good. <laughs> and then it was because he had tested positive for COVID. So now he's another guy on that list. Devontae Adams is what a true number one receiver looks like to me, right? I mean, I, oh, yeah. there is this offseason, I think there is a number one receiver project for us to do here at cleveland.com. What does he look like? It turned out that for the Browns, and I think in a lot of ways in the modern NFL, Odell Beckham Jr. anymore is not really it. Jarvis Landry is a really good player, but he's not really it. I think there's like size that comes into it, speed, third down reliability, also big playability. Devontae Adams sort of encapsulates all of that. And you start thinking about a matchup like that, Scott. It's like, man, I don't know if you stop that guy. You try to control him, but maybe maybe the Browns do have the guys in the secondary to try to do it. Yeah, let me right off the top here. Let me just say there's I, I, there's no magic uh, um, solution here for how you play 
the Packers as a pass defense. It's not like uh, Aaron Rodgers. You know, if you if you make him throw outside the numbers, you're going to have a lot of success. Or you know, the way people uh, wanted Lamar Jackson, you know, to throw. That's not there. The guy's been in the league forever. He's great. So you have to deal with Devontae Adams. You just and the Browns obviously are spending a lot of time trying to figure out what they're going to do about Devontae Adams. He is fourth in the league in targets and catches, third in receiving yards, 1,248. And there's still three weeks to go. Do you know the last time a Browns receiver had at least 1,200 receiving yards in a season? Braylon Edwards. No, not that far back. <laughs> Dwayne Bow. Dwayne Bow. Dwayne Bow. Uh, 2013, Josh Gordon. Uh, and the Browns have actually had – the receiving yards since then, Gary Barnage, Terrell Pryor. Remember that? Remember when Terrell Pryor was going to save this offense? Oh, um, yeah. I was all over that. Yeah. Then OBJ and Landry in, in 2019. So, obviously, uh, the Browns haven't had experiences like that, and the Packers get it almost every year with Devontae Adams. Uh, he's going to get targets on Saturday. He's had at least 10 in six games. He's had fewer than seven just once. OBJ probably looks at <laughs> Devontae Adams when he was here and like, how do, how do I get back to that point? Um, his catches matter for the Packers too. He's third in the league in first downs. Um, he has at least six catch catches in all but two games and he has eight receiving touchdowns. His worst game was probably week nine, 13, seven loss to the chiefs. He only caught six of 14 targets for 42 yards. The chiefs had four different guys trying to cover him. At least they, four different guys saw targets against them. One important note about that game, Aaron Rodgers didn't play. Oh, oh, that. Oh, that. Right. Yeah. Oh, that. He was out with COVID, so it was Jordan Love, and obviously the offense struggled. They ended up losing. This will obviously be a big matchup for Denzel Ward. Uh, he got back to the Pro Bowl this week. We found out on Monday he's a Pro Bowler again. He's been playing some of his best football of his career over the second half of the season. He's eighth among cornerbacks in PFF coverage grade since week nine, and that's when things kind of took off for him with that, that pick six, 99 yarder against the Bengals. The thing about Adams is the Packers don't just play him out wide. That's his primary spot, but he also has the second most snaps in the slot for the Packers. I guess the bears a couple weeks ago, the Packers moved Adams into the slot, kind of create better matchups. And he ended up having 10 catches for 121 yards and two touchdowns in that game. And that's a problem for the Browns because Denzel doesn't play like a ton in the slot and you're as we're recording this, Troy Hill remains on the COVID list. Greg Newsom, who uh, is a guy they've been able to move in there uh, is like we said, has also been added to the COVID list. Not even sure he made it through concussion protocol yet. Um, and that's what cut him out of the Raiders game to begin with. But those are your top two options for the slot, because, you know, if you don't have Troy Hill, you can bring on Greedy Williams and move Greg Newsom in there in, into the slot and, get by. So, yeah. and in Hill, you're also losing one of your best defenders against the run this season. So this leaves MJ Stewart, uh, who wasn't terrible against the Raiders, but still saw a team high nine targets and gave up a team high 75 yards. I think 40 of those were after the catch 40 or 45. So, I mean, MJ Stewart on Devonte Adams is a, a matchup that the Packers are going to try to get. I mean, it seemed like the Raiders knew where MJ Stewart was on every snap. Uh, last week and they went at him a lot. Um, and, and you know, the Packers are going to try and make that work, uh, especially if, if it's in a situation where they're trying to get away from, from Denzel Ward. So the Ravens have tried the Ravens uh, last week, tried to bracket 
Devontae Adams with two defenders. But then the Packers just went to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who had five catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown. He's third on the team in targets this season. He's only played nine games. And he's their stretch-the-field guy. Averages a team-high 17 yards per catch. His average depth of target is 19 yards, which leads the league. So Joe Woods has to figure out this week how to align his safeties in this game. Like, do you use John Johnson III to help bracket Devontae Adams? Do you keep him deep to guard against Valdez Scantling? If they're both occupied, you know, if, if both safeties are occupied against the Packers uh, by, by, by receivers, because they usually have three receivers on the field, what does that do to the Browns' ability to stop the run? You know, coaching is hard, I guess is the point with that. Uh, but the good news for the Browns is linebackers and safeties or the, for the Browns linebackers and safeties is that the Packers don't throw a ton to their tight ends. They got 37 year old Mercedes Lewis still out there. Uh, he's 21 catches on 24 targets. Uh, but running back Aaron Jones is second on the team in catches and targets and has six receiving touchdowns. Actually Jones has combined with AJ Dillon to give Packers running back 70 catches on 92 targets. So guys like JOK, Anthony Walker, Jacob Phillips, who came off the COVID list Wednesday, will have to deal with that. More good news for the Browns then is that Walker and JOK are actually seventh and eighth in PFF coverage grade among linebackers this season. Huh. And Sione Takitaki, of all people, is tied for eighth in coverage with JOK. Although he only has 82 coverage snaps. Like if you look at the top 30 guys ranked, like he's one of two guys with less than 160 snaps. So it's a small sample size, but you know, if he's out there on first down, which he is a lot, and they end up throwing, he's actually performed pretty well. So in theory, you could have your best coverage defenders in positions to make plays, guys like Denzel and JOK and Anthony Walker. But again, like Garrett trying to get to Aaron Rodgers in that matchup, do we think the Browns have the advantage there? Probably not. I mean, it's one of those. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have the advantage on everybody in the league. I mean, there's nobody in the league. It's it's as good of a quarterback as there is and as good of a receiver as there is. I mean, who's going to argue against Patrick Mahomes? I mean, take your pick on, you know, the top five, seven receivers in the league. But I do think that the Browns, if they're close to healthy, man, I mean, it just seems like it's going to be hard to have Newsom there. But they have as much of a chance as anybody, right? They got a true number one corner. They have a couple different safeties to believe in. They have a number two corner that, all right, if you do try to, lean coverage towards Adams, then you believe in the guys that are covering the number two receiver. I'll take my shot with this group, Scott, which is all you can ask. No, the Browns don't have an edge, but they have a chance to hang, which against Rodgers and Adams is all you can ask for. You also have John Johnson at the back of that defense, and he's been playing a lot better over the second half of this season. And that's important. So again, like at every level you have, that one cornerstone guy, right? You got Miles, Denzel, JOK in the middle, um, you know, and then John Johnson behind them. So, yeah, you're right. This, I mean, again, defense is playing well the second half of the season, but this obviously is probably their biggest challenge <laughs> with, with, you know, apologies to Mac Jones. Um, this is their biggest challenge uh, of the second half for sure. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes early, Aaron Rodgers late. It's kind of a, Tough way to talk about bracketing your season, yeah. um, but they it's it's where they are. And there have been times when you would have put a Brown secondary out there and been like, well, that's not it. Like, <laughs> why even go? 
right? And that's not where they are anymore. Not with not with the guys they have. The, the, they've got a shot, and you just hope they're as healthy as they as they can be on the back end. All right, quick break. Come back. What about the Packers run game and what the Browns could do against it? Next, I've got to watch the tape. Doug and Scott, I will say one of the other guys just for Browns fans to keep an eye on. Eric Stokes was the corner that the Packers took in the first round. I think I remember when we were doing like our all do and our final draft projections, he's the guy that I projected to the Browns. So I've been trying to keep my eye on him because I didn't think Greg Newsom would be there. I think Stokes was the next corner off the board. And I still wonder like if Newsom had gone, would Eric Stokes maybe be a Brown? Because it all we all saw that they had a need at corner. And I thought that was a pretty good corner class. He's playing pretty well. Newsom is actually, I mean, you look at PFF grades. I'm looking at rookie corners, uh, overall defensive grade, Newsom is third among rookie corners. Eric Stokes from Green Bay is six. So, I mean, it's not like nothing got it wrong. Not at all. I mean, Greg Newsom is really, really good. But uh, Eric Stokes, I think, is a pretty good player, too. But that's on the other side of the ball. Let's talk about running it. I don't know. They seem like they're, they're in a little bit of a weird, right? They run it with Aaron Jones, but A.J. Dillon does play a pretty important role for them. They're certainly not as scary there as they are in the passing game. But I mean, is there a world? What do you do? Do you stop the run and (laughs) force Aaron Rodgers to throw? Is that the strategy? (laughs) Yes, that's that's Joe Woods' plan. He's screwing that out on his on his whiteboard as we speak. Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, does the run game even matter? I guess is my question. Yes. Nick, Nick Chubb is ranked ninth in rushing DVOA this season. Right behind him in 10th and 11th is A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. As a rushing offense, the Packers ranked ninth in DVOA. So, you know, just like the Browns, the Packers have a really good one-two punch. They're running back. Um, and think about them. Only one carry separates Jones and Dillon this season. They both have over 600 yards rushing, and they both have over 900 all-purpose yards. They're not making people miss at nearly the same rate as guys like Chubb and Kareem Hunt would and have uh, and the Packers actually rank 30th as a team an explosive play rate on running plays so again they're not they're not breaking those big runs that we see from the Browns <clears throat> although we haven't seen those lately um, but Jones and Dylan have a combined 23 runs of 10 yards or more Chubb has 33 on his own this season so they're not super elusive or explosive runners but as their DVOA ranking showed they're efficient and Dylan is actually tied for second among running backs in success rate this season. So he's, he's good at getting the necessary yards to keep the chains moving. You know, he's, he's getting, you know, 60% on first down or 40% on first down, 60% on second down, that kind of thing. So Jones is only 29th in success rate, but he was fifth last season. So he's a guy who's, who's been efficient uh, recently. So the Packers basically stick to two main personnel groupings. Like 11 personnel with three receivers on the field, they'll use that 60% of the time, which is league average. Then they also use 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. And they use it 30% of the time, which is second most in the NFL. And when they run out of that 12 personnel, they have a 55% success rate, which is fifth best in the league. So when they have, and they also tend to run it more. So when they do have two tight ends out there, you're, you're, there's a good chance it's going to be a run more often uh, than a pass. But even though they run it more, uh, when they do pass it out of 12 personnel, they've been very successful. And I don't have the info on play actions out of that specific personnel grouping, but we do know that when they pass out of 12 personnel, 
They have a 57% success rate, and Aaron Rodgers has a passer rating of 100 even. And when it comes to play action on whatever play or whatever personnel grouping, Rodgers is eighth in the league in completion percentage, 71%, nine touchdowns, zero picks. So listen, listen, listen. We already did Aaron Rodgers. This is supposed to I be know. the running part. What are we but doing? this is how the running game helps him because, oh again, it, he doesn't need any help. I know. It's, it's sad that he even gets it. <laughs> The league comes up with all these rules. Do you think they would come up with one that, you know, kind of yeah. kind of ties his hands a little bit, but you know, whatever. If your passer rating is over 120, you're not allowed to do play action. That's right. That's right. So, but the point is they they again, they're not going to they're not going to beat you with explosive plays when they're running, but they do use the running play the running game efficiently and they do work play action out of it. They're actually about the same play action rate as as Baker Mayfield's had this season. It's a little under 30. Um, but obviously Aaron Rodgers has performed a lot better in it. And I know all this sounds scary and it should, <laughs> um, like I said, off the top, this wasn't going to be a good news podcast, uh, but, but that's why I've been saying for like the last week and a half, the Browns don't need to win this game. Like their season has a good probability of coming down to the final two weeks against the Steelers and Bengals, but stealing one on Christmas against the Packers obviously would certainly help their cause. To do that, though, this defense is, I mean, they're going to have to have their best performance of the season. There's, there's no way around it. All right. So I want to ask two questions based on this then. With everything you just detailed, it makes it sound like to me like the defense can't win it. Like actually the way they have to win is the offense has to score some points. Like what is what do you think realistically is the fewest number of points the Browns can sort of hope to hold the Packers to? Like if they hold the Packers to like 24, 27, and it's like, all right, Baker or Nick Mullins or Case Keenum or whomever, you got to get four touchdowns. If you get four touchdowns, we'll take care of the rest. If they hold the Packers under 28, is that is that enough to give the offense a shot? I mean, they're not, they can't hold, they can't hold the Packers to 17, can they? What's a realistic number? A realistic goal that you could set it. The Browns would have a chance to win, and they actually would have a chance to limit the Packers to this score. 20 to 24 points. Okay. So then let no me more ask than th- 24. Let me ask this question then in, in conjunction with that. We have not talked about the Browns offense. Does Kevin Stefanski have to let it go? Does he have to let it rip a little bit? Can the Browns score 28 or 27 or what it's going to take to beat the Packers running 13 personnel and throwing six yard passes to the tight ends all day? Or do they are doing, you know, and if it's Nick Mullins, I get, but even if it's Nick Mullins, it could be Nick Mullins who at least practiced a little bit more. Like, I just think, again, the efficiency shoebox, they like, what are you, tr- what are you trying to do here, man? Take some shots down the field. Hope, hope you get one of those goofy 46 yard pass mm-hmm. interference calls. Like they called against MJ Stewart against the Raiders last week. Take some, I, I like, I don't know. And again, I, I want, I want ingenuity. That doesn't mean trick plays. That's not what I mean, but also run some trick plays. Like, don't like, what are you, what are you trying to do? If you run the normal Browns efficiency offense, does that have any hope of getting it done, given that you're assuming the Packers get at least 24? Well, I mean, they look, they, they took some deep shots. He was two of nine on passes oh. of 10 yards or more. He was over three on passes of 20 yards or more. And one of those was to DPJ and he was under pressure on that throw. He could not uh, kind of, put everything on it that he wanted. So it came up short. DPJ had to reach back, which left the ball there to get poked away on the sideline. So that was one. 
I would feel more confident, obviously, with Baker Mayfield as the quarterback in this game. I would feel more confident with Jedrick Wills as the left tackle. The offensive line, I think, is is the concern. Um, yeah, and because obviously you need them to pass protect, you need them to run block, and no matter who that quarterback is, they take their shots. I think there were times when uh, they were playing the Raiders that it was third and eight or nine or whatever. And you could just tell that whatever pass they threw was not going to be to the sticks. Like, uh-huh. and it rarely was. And uh, at least with Baker, you know, that you're, you're more likely to get a first down throw that actually goes to the yard marker. Um, but maybe another week of practice helps with Nick Mullins. I don't know. Uh, but I would feel a lot more confident with, with Baker and their ability to, to score enough points to win a game like this. And we'll, we'll end it with this. It's just guessing. And we'll, I'm sure, talk about this a lot on the other Orange and Brown Talk podcast this week. Baker is eligible Saturday. Right. He doesn't have to test negative, right? He can just play. So he's, we understand. A, he's allowed to play. Yeah. If Baker Mayfield can't practice, but he's allowed to play, does he start? I think he does. Probably. He does. I mean, they've had guys stay out because of injury. Um, I mean, when he was going through his, his shoulder and but uh, shoulder and foot and I forget what else was in there. Hip, hip or ribs. I can't remember, but uh, I mean, he hardly practiced those weeks yeah. too. So, so I'm yeah. anticipating Baker Mayfield takes the field against the Packers mm-hmm. on Saturday. So it's a Baker Mayfield without much practice offense. We don't know who else, but I don't know. I almost feel like after this, Scott, it's like you've talked me into like it's Baker's game because the mm-hmm. defense will hold on for dear life and try not to give up 35, but you know, for a defense that has limited a lot of teams to fewer than 17 or fewer than 20 points, that doesn't seem to be in the cards. So the yeah. offense is going to have to do something. Okay. It'll get happier for Pittsburgh and Cincinnati because there's going to be <laughs> real hope that I just, it's not going to be over, right? It's a little weird. The Steelers are playing the chiefs this week and it's the chiefs who at the moment feel like they're in the COVID wave a little bit. So it's like, Oh yeah. COVID is going to affect other teams. It's like, Oh, it's going to knock out the chiefs when they're playing the Steelers. Well, that doesn't help the Browns, but it is what it is. And it's not over yet. And so don't watch this game. But don't let this game ruin your Christmas either way. Please don't no. let that happen because they're not dead. They're not done even if they lose and they're doing the best they can. Hey, and, and if, look, if, if the Bengals beat the Ravens and the chiefs beat the Steelers, those are not two big asks, by the way, the Browns are being a great position going into the final two weeks. They basically need favorites to win. Yeah. So it's, you know, not the worst place to be. All right, Scott, thanks for uh, all the work on that. Thanks to you guys for listening. Make sure you're reading Cleveland.com slash Browns. Happy holidays. And Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. For Scott Pasco, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.